Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing? Hi, Grant. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not mm, too bad. I know. The sun's shining. It's a wonderful day. We have to talk about the weather. <laughs> it's the rule. <laughs> I believe it's obligatory now. Everyone's <laughs> expecting it. Or well, they're probably gnashing their teeth. <laughs> uh, we, Our guests today come from a part of Australia that many people, I think, would classify as God's country. So uh, should we uh, should we get cracking? Yes, please. Let's get straight onto it. So today we're going to talk about wine, but less so about the wine and more about the actual vineyard. Uh, we're talking about Duxton Vineyards. It's a company that has had environmental sustainability at its core since it began in 2015. Six years later, it's producing around 6% of Australia's annual wine grape supply, uh, and it has a slew of trailblazing certifications, innovative tech and regenerative farming practices that are mutually beneficial to the land that it depends on, but also for the business. It's a really uh, fascinating insight to a company that has been driven by sustainability and environmental goals from the get-go. So to tell us more about what the company is up to, we're joined by Managing Director Wayne Ellis and its Environmental Manager, Dylan Klingbeal. Welcome, you two. Yeah, good afternoon, Kim. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Kim. Absolute pleasure. So, Wayne, maybe we'll start with you. Can you give us a bit of a, a good broad sweep of what uh, Duxton is and also how you ended up working with the company? Yeah, certainly. So, we're uh, located in the Murray-Darling Basin uh, in Mildura on the New South Wales side in Sunraysia. We've got... Uh, 2,500 hectares planted vineyards on our properties that uh, align to the Murray Darling, um, well, Murray River and the Darling River. Um, for myself, I started in the wine industry um, in the early 2000s with Lindemann's Wines and really moved through the, the Treasury Wine Network and then Accolade, Accolade Wine Network uh, on a supply operation business. Um, and I was dealing with Duxton Vineyards when I was with Accolade and then um, there was an opportunity that seen me um, be able to take up the, the, the MD role of the position here um, in Sunraysia to, to manage the farms and we now have a commercial winery. Um, oh, okay. The business. So we're an end-to-end supply business. Okay. So, wow, so the, uh, the, the sector really is in your blood then. <laughs> Yeah, have been have been in it for a while. <laughs> and um, and Dylan, what about you? How um, how long have you been with Duxton? Uh, thanks for having me on, Kim. Um, I've been with Duxton now for two years. So I uh, started in the wine industry back in 2013 and did a short stint at uh, Accolade Wines in the laboratory. Went off and uh, got myself a degree in environmental science and chemistry and then decided to uh, step back into the wine industry because I enjoyed my time there previously and uh, back to Accolade Wines I went um, and spent two and a half years there uh, based out of Berry Estates Winery in the Riverland region. So, uh, And then from there decided to come over to uh, Ducks and Vineyards, um, saw what they were doing in the environment sustainability space, um, seen the land holdings and the potential there and thought it was something I really wanted to be a part of. 
I imagine where the company is based, that that environmental area is, in, you know, is incredibly uh, topical and uh, sensitive and has been, you know, in, in the um, spotlight for quite some time, hasn't it? So, I guess is there a is is there a feeling of uh, responsibility in terms of of looking after and even sort of regenerating that land, you know, to to a condition that makes it, I guess, a little less fragile or its health as tenuous as absolutely. It has been? And that was one of the key things when I first started chatting to Wayne. Is being such a large landholder, uh, one of the key things was to to really. I guess, preserve and look after the natural resources that we rely upon. And a big one of that was was water. So being such a large water extractor um, in one of the hottest regions in Australia and the lowest rainfall. So yeah. um, a key focus was that um, preservation and efficiency in our irrigation, but then moving also into what else could we do for the land that we operate on because we were such a large landholder. And it's not just the 2,500 hectares that we have under vine, it's everything that surrounds it as well. So that's where we've managed to put some focus into that regeneration, revegetation and supporting the surrounding systems of our vineyard as well. I know that Duxton is that you're doing some really innovative and and collaborative projects down there, aren't you? In terms of working with Save Our Species or working with uh, local beekeepers, as well as you know the um, University of Adelaide and the local elders environmental team. Um, I love that idea, a native insectarium. Where does that come from for a company? Like where where is that formed within its uh, with, I guess, formed within its culture or its philosophy? I think it's it stemmed from um, just passion and that's not just my passion, that's that's Wayne and uh, and also at a Duxton Capital level. So um, it's really driven down through a lot of Duxton's businesses and Duxton has a bees business. So, you know, when that's if that's something we want expertise in, it's pr- we've got pretty easy access to that. So, um, insectarium, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. And I think us putting our um, efforts into revegetation really supports that as a concept and how that interacts in a vineyard. And I think there's an area that Duxton's responsible for that that's looks after even the endangered regent parrot. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So, we've, um, as part of that Saving Our Species program with local land services, there's been a, a long standing partnership there where we've managed to revegetate a lot of our land uh, but and it's not only um, planting the trees and forgetting about them you know we, we've put out water infrastructure we've irrigated them we've fenced them off to prevent them being disturbed by pests so it's it's a long-term project it's not plant and forget it's it's um, it's maintenance and making sure that they establish and we support that species and there's a lot of um, previous work being done by government groups that show that those parrots uh, on our property and surrounding our property it's one of the largest populations in New South Wales which is you know it's pretty special for us to be able to support um, an endangered species recover. Absolutely I think that's um it's really interesting Wayne I think when you have a when you have a business and a business of the size and scale of Duxton and then you have uh, projects that are part of that, that uh, what Dylan was just talking about in terms of in a way they're not on a um on a line on the balance sheet, but they're a, a critical component to the company and how the company sees itself. Is that a fair call? I oh, know that's definitely a fair call. Um, our, our philosophy is that minimalistic or, or giving back to Mother Earth more than we take out. 
Um, and like the Save Our Species or the natural vegetation and what it does for insects, uh, the bird life, um, it, it adds value. It's not a balanced sheet. It, like, we don't grow more fruit because of it. Um, but we are the custodians of the land now. And try, our business philosophy is to do the right thing, but it's to do the right thing for Mother Earth, but for us as a business, so we're still here for future generations because we still take a lot out of our natural resource, and that's both the water source that runs past the Murray or Darling um, arterial um, or, or the carbon and the nutrients out of the soil base. So, you know, it's pretty minimalistic on what our philosophy is, um, and it, it, in principle, it is we're trying to have the best soil health we can to generate the best plant health to have the, the highest quality fruit in the region. Let's just take a step back or to the side maybe. Um, tell me a bit about the actual Duxton Vineyards business. So how, how many tonnes of grapes are you guys supplying a year or, or now you have your own, um, you know, wine business? How, what's the scale yeah, so we're um, in Vintage 21. We've only just started Vintage 22. So Vintage 21, our last closed vintage, we we grew, own grew 72,000 tonne of fruit in the region. Um, we have some 26 different varietals of, of wine um, and we have our own branded and we're very excited. We're about to launch a sustainable brand, um, which we would definitely love to talk to you and, and, and many people in the community about um so we have a couple of our own brands um but we have been working um for the last two years with um, pinnacle drinks or endeavor drinks from from the Woolworths um to develop um or to co-developed a sustainable brand so uh, our sustainability That's really exciting. has <laughs> about, it's like guilt-free drinking <laughs> I'm helping the environment, really. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think for that, you know, there's a little, and it probably is a marketing slogan, which might not come out of me as well as, say, the marketer or the commercial team. Um, our, our slogan with what we do is, you know, we have a progressive approach to conservation, but uh, wine doesn't have to cost the earth. Oh, I like it. And that's really what we believe in and and we're working towards. And it it is a journey. It's not a destination. We're really excited. We'll be launching our brand called Rewild um, later in March this year and it will go to National Dan Murphy's um, and then a little bit later in the year it will go to um, DWS and it is exclusive. Uh, But we've partnered with... um, That's a big year. (laughs) You had a big year. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's very exciting and it's it, it, it's two years' worth of work, which we're now six weeks away from launch um, and the outstanding work that Dylan does with the teams out on the, on the farms and through the winery is to try to get the excitement that it's, it's not just a grow and make as our forefathers do. Yes, um, yes. This was something I was going to ask you in terms of when you look at the industry as a whole, and this isn't meant as some sort of pointing fingers or like if you're looking at an organic company versus a, you know, a a food manufacturing company, whatever, what are the real standouts between what you're doing versus a a more, for want of a better word, conventional vineyard? 
Is it myriad things or are there just, a, a, you know, two or three core things that are fundamentally different? Oh, yeah, there's probably a myriad of things, but the real key for us was um, we, we've worked really hard over the last few years to way, move away from synthetic-based um, nitrogens, um, herbicides and pesticides. Uh, and part of that healthier soil and healthier uh, plant is given back to the environment. So we really focus on uh, mid-row planting. So we we seed uh, native and natural grasses, which don't need a lot of water or water at all. It, it helps with soil structure, organic matter. We do minimal um, uh, herbiciding. Um, so we then um, slash the mid-rows and mulch it back into the ground. And that gives it back where the microbial balance, which is a, nature, a natural cycle, um, opposed to that soil erosion process that's happened with tilling and disking rows where it just is light, dry dust. And you know, for you and your listeners to actually know where we are, it, it's pretty arid. Uh, we do have the water that runs around us, but it's pretty yes. arid. <laughs> it's pretty dry. It's pretty dry. <laughs> Um, and, and, and that's really what we've done. So we are looking at that, you know, weed suppression, soil erosion, um, given carbon back. So it goes back from the microbial growth in the soil or activity in the soil to the plant and the plant produces that in the fruit and it gives it strength. It combats um, its, uh, the natural diseases, bacteria and pests. The plant actually has the ability to fight that as well if it's healthy yeah. Dylan, tell me, what, what would you I, add to uh, that? I just wanted to add to that when we're talking about the, like synthetic chemicals that we are, I'd say we're, we're quite progressive in trying and trialling new things, especially in that microbiological inoculant space. So we've done some pretty cool work in, although a lot of these products are organic and conventionally you don't have to use them and they're generally more expensive, they do show a lot of, really cool benefits using those natural biological products. So, um, And we, we've definitely put in the work to quantify what those results look like. So we'll, we'll grab a, um, you know, a shelf full of products and trial those at a large scale and then measure the nutrient benefits. So um, we've seen some, some really cool results from and even blending different products yeah. together. And tell me from, you know, your experience and your time, your time with the company, what, What's um, ever what's been the biggest challenge, but then also what's what's put the biggest kick in your step, Dylan? Like in terms of a project that you're working on that you just you know are really passionate about or seeing some really interesting yeah, results cool. from. Um, so biggest challenge, I think, is, is Wayne touched on it before. Is I guess changing perception and changing, uh, especially people that have been in the industry for a long time and worked in the vineyard, on the land that may have even been brought up with it. They've seen how their fathers have done it and that's the way it's always been done. So I think that's something that we, it's, a, it's a constant battle and even that happens in the winery as well, that you'll have people that have worked in the winery for 30 years and it works, so why are we changing it? So I think in a role like mine when it's, it's a lot of it's changing process, it's changing equipment, it's um, trying to be more efficient, it can sometimes get questioned. Um, so I, I've got to try and 
um, do my research, do my homework, make sure I get it right and then educate people as to why we should move in that direction. Um, biggest motivator and enjoyment has probably been in that innovation tech space um, and then seeing some of that new equipment that's out there and then even um, implementing, say, for example, new automation on an irrigation system and then seeing how the staff respond to it and how if their life's made easier, the joy that they get out of that. Um, and some of those might be really simple changes, but it can change the way that they do things day to day. And then probably in terms of a special moment, um, I think it's worth highlighting I did have a really special moment with one of the local Indigenous groups. Um, so we, we did have some site surveys done just to um, identify some significant areas on one of our vineyards. Uh, we, we knew based on um, history and some of the previous owners had done some work in that space and um, I managed to stop my vehicle um, purely out of chance because I seen something that looked like an invasive pest species. So, And this is out in some of our native vegetation and we want to protect that obviously we don't want and it was a cactus so we don't want cactus growing in our native areas so I stopped the vehicle and they were following behind me and they got out and just behind my vehicle was a really large well-preserved fireplace so would have been thousands and thousands of years old and they they, they virtually said to me that um the, the spirits or the elders were talking to me in that moment. For some reason, I stopped and we managed to stumble across a site that was pretty special. So that was probably a moment that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Okay, so let's move from uh, the vineyard and the actual vines and talk to me about the next sort of stages of the process with the with with your grapes and uh, from sort of I guess once they've been harvested, what happens then? What sort of equipment are you using? How is the environmental element coming in at that point of the process? So like we pick at the, the coolest point of the day. So we're picking at the fruit at its premium quality. Um, we get it into the winery um, as quick as we possibly can because it, it is a decaying fruit. Um, so we want to get that. Uh, inside the winery, we usually have a, a minimal approach to it so we it's called minimal intervention we really allow the fruit to drive the end product so for us in the Duxton process we've removed demacious earth which wasn't good for um, OHNF and our staff um, it's a clay based filtration product uh, but it also had a waste stream that we had to deal with at the other end and it went to our uh, waste treatment so the EPA authorities weren't necessarily happy with so um, I would say definitely which we don't have an accreditation tip we would say if we're not the only we're close to the only winery of any scale that doesn't use that step in its process and it's all about minimizing our step in the process so uh, we we now do from the grape arriving to the bottle is around 13 steps in the process. It used to be 18. Um, so we are looking at how do we remove um, the byproduct, the waste stream in the wine as early as we can, looking at that natural resource, which you know, it, which is really energy and ours and water. Uh, so inside the processing, inside the winery, there's a lot of refrigeration um, to keep the ferment uh, tracking against its process because you're converting sugars to ethanol. Um, and with that is that um, water to wine contact. So 
we do have a lot of that and both of those removing those steps uh, not only saves us money in the bottom line but also gives back to our consumption of both water and uh, electricity use which is the main two utilities that we use inside the winery and over to you, Dylan. You probably give where the guys are and where we have been over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that probably the biggest focus in the winery has really been um, really looking at refrigeration. And refrigeration, I think, is pretty commonly stated to be 50 to 60% of all of uh, winery electricity use. So it's the, it's the big ticket item. Um, for us, I, I think we've, a lot of our emphasis really in the last uh, six months has been better understanding exactly what parts of that refrigeration process are using or using energy when. So, again, done some partnership work with the New South Wales government um, and some funding involved where we've gone on to install a heap of sub-metering equipment. So not just monitoring our site at a site-based level, we're going to an equipment level. And then if it's something as simple as a motor is imbalanced or, or operating inefficiently, we can get our maintenance team to work on that straight away. So it's getting down to a, a micro level of, of our equipment on site. Mm. Uh, we ran a story in our January-February issue that was looking at uh, refrigeration and particularly refrigeration in the in the supply chain and they're looking at creating a, you know, a code of conduct to try and get everyone, you know, onto, onto the same page. And uh, one of the things that was noted was that it's even just at the basic level of the correct use of a thermometer was still not being followed through by everyone. And, and of course, you, you just sort of go, what? But you, we all know like those things that we just, you know, when you've done them five million times in a job or in a place and you don't, you just stop doing them. But it's interesting that you say that, that it is coming back to that micro level and finding small things that can make a massive difference. Yeah, that's right, and it's they all add up. So, um, and another another one, a big user within a winery setting is uh, compressed air. So, supplying air around the site, um, and really simple things that people walk past day to day. So, air leaks. I think if you walk through any winery in Australia um, at a large scale, you'll hear uh, air hissing around the site, and uh, it's it all it all uses energy. Oh, the choir yeah. of angels. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, out in nature on a vineyard and then you just hear the hiss of house of serenity (laughs) house of serenity (laughs) wow yeah okay that's yeah that's really really interesting um talk to me a bit about uh what's on the road ahead i mean obviously this year is going to be really exciting with some of your own labels um you know products coming out as as um but what are some other what are some other big ticket items that uh are staring uh, at you at the moment? So um, we are still moving ahead and uh, working closely with Lavo on looking at some potential hydrogen storage opportunities. Um, mm. uh, so just, I'll yep. just interrupt you there, Dylan. Um, uh, Duxton Vineyards has uh, did a big project, didn't you, with Lavo and hydrogen. Um, you can read all about it. Uh, on the website, but Dylan, do you want to give us a very quick overview of what that relationship is, and then and then on to the next what you were just about to talk to us about in terms of the the next stage of the project? At this stage, the project is um, we're really in the I guess pre feasibility stage. So there's been there's been no on the ground works. It's just understanding and working through our operations at 
where the technology is going to best fit. And being hydrogen, it is versatile that it can be pulled off and used in other, you know, fuel source like as a gas substitute and those sort of things. So it is quite a complex phenomenon and there's, it's, it's new. It's, it's, there's regulatory barriers. Uh, so it is quite a undertaking, but that's something we're working through at the moment. So we are looking at doing some fish screens. So um, in protecting our natural resources and the water we draw from, uh, a big a big issue, I guess, raised locally um, within the Murray-Darling Basin has been the amount of fish being extracted from the river source itself and um, predominantly small fish, larvae and other um, native insects even being pulled up into pumping systems has been identified as a, as a key issue. So um, it's something that's not commonly done and I haven't heard of too many others out there that are doing it at large scale, but fish screening is now being talked about as a potential solution and it's, it's, it's one of those things along with um, things like screens at the, the locks and weirs along the river and fish ways for, for native fish to move from different reaches. So it's one of those things that they see that um, I guess those in the um, ecology space of the freshwater systems are saying it's it really has a, a high potential to see those fish species return in terms of population numbers. So really what the, the, the technology is a, a fine mesh screen that self-cleans and the aperture width is small enough that it won't suck up a lot of these um, a lot of the material and the smaller species. So, um, and you think about the amount of water extracted, it's huge numbers. So, um, that that's one we're looking at rolling out. So, we've got two screens planned for install within the next few months um, and then possibly some come and have a look days with the local community as well because there's some other farmers close by that are interested and they want to come and see how the technology works before they jump in and try it. So, I think we're probably the second one along the reach, the Darling reach, um, to, to implement it. We're, so we're pretty excited about that one moving forward. Wayne, is this something you see that, that you guys sort of putting something into place or you've put an initiative in and, and then others will come to you and then sort of say, oh, okay, so it's actually working or it's, oh, well, you're clearly still operating, so it's not putting you out of business. And so how do you do it? Does that happen? Uh, yeah, it has happened. And I think that is what, uh, it'll be more and more, Kim. Um, the fish greens, it's, there's no benefit to our operation there, or there may be a, a tangible downline with you know, screens inside our, our irrigation system. But at the moment, it's all about the environment. Um, people are definitely starting to reach out to see the benefits of how we're going about our regenerative farming approach. Um, and they understand that the, it's not the cheapest method, um, but most I want to be there tomorrow. Um, and, and, and I think that's the thing. You know, there's, there's plenty of news around the globe of what we need to do with global warming and, and you know, carbon neutral or carbon negative targets. So it, it's going to be more of these kind of activities and behaviours um, to start moving businesses like ours and others in, in agriculture and horticulture to, to be in a more sustainable position to survive, it will be a point of difference to a consumer. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, look, you know, who'd think, Grant, that we would uh, be coming on to talk about a vineyard but would be talking about fish screens and, um, you know, thousands and thousands of year old fire pits and uh, endangered birds. 
But that's what it's about, isn't it? You're going to grow something in the ground. There's lots of other things in the ground. Um, I want to thank you both for coming on today. I, uh, when we wrote some stories about Duxton last year, it was it really piqued our interest. Um, you were doing really innovative, and in some ways, you know, for your industry, um, pretty bold and brave things. And uh, so it's been great to have you on to have a chat. And uh, please keep us informed. And uh, good luck with the product launches later this year. Thanks very much, Kim, for having us. Thanks, thanks Kim. Thanks, Grant. Well, thanks, gents, and thanks, Kim. And, of course, thanks to our audience for joining us for this episode. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow this podcast in your favourite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. But don't forget, we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.